Well, turning your Bibles to Luke chapter 8, we're continuing, of course, our study of the Gospel of Luke, and we're seeing our perfect Savior, Jesus Christ. Of course, Luke shows him as the perfect man, and he comes as the sacrifice for the sins of the world. And as we continue in our study, Jesus is in northern Israel, and he's doing ministry. There's so much that goes on in this passage as we see Jesus, of course, is the Savior of the world. What does he do? Well, how does he show himself as the Savior and as the authority? He does it by his words and his works, his words, which is his message of salvation, his works, which is his miracles, such as healing and feeding and raising the dead, forgiving sins. Now, in this section, chapter 8 is sort of a long chapter, but as we look at chapter 8, in just a second we're going to look at it, I think. There it is. In Luke chapter 8, two things, words and works. We see two parables. That's his words, teachings. We've actually already seen that. And then the works are four miracles. And so we are now into the second of the four miracles. Last time we saw his authority over nature. This time we'll see his authority over the demons. And we'll see how that works. It's a very powerful passage. And the goal, of course, is that we'd see it and make application. Sometimes you hear these words. It's hopeless. These are words that are sad. We hear people say it. We think it's like it's a hopeless situation. It seems that there's no way out or it's not going to ever happen. It could be many things. It could be a sickness where somebody's dying and people say, you know, it's just hopeless. There's nothing that can be done. Or it could be a marriage where people are having conflict and they've given up and it's hopeless. And they say, you know, they're just not going to make it. Or it could be like you're taking a class and you've got some bad grades and you say, I just can't catch up no matter what I do. I'm not going to pass. Or it could be in sports and you're in the game or we're playing and you look at it and it's almost over and you say, we're just, we're not going to win. It's just not that way. Sometimes these things, things seem hopeless. But you know there are times like in sports that it's right at the end or something. It looks like you're not going to win and all of a sudden somebody makes a shot or it's a hit or some big play and we win. Or sometimes in marriage, couples actually decide, you know, we're going to make it and they begin to work on it and it works. Or sometimes the doctor walks in and says, I don't know how to explain this. There's been a miraculous turnaround. It's got to be only from God. Truth is this. In a hopeless situation, there's always hope. Why? Because our God can do anything. He can turn all things according to his will. He works all things according to his will. And he can take a hopeless situation and turn it into something great. This morning we're going to see a situation that, humanly speaking you'd say, is hopeless. There's this man, he's demon-possessed, not by one demon, but by many demons. And he's out of control. He, they bind him and he breaks it off. He's got this superhuman strength. He cries out. He takes rocks and cuts himself. He has no clothes on. And he's living in a graveyard. And this has gone on for a long time. And humanly speaking, we could say, you know, that, that's pretty much hopeless. But there is hope. Because what is impossible with men is possible with God. Realize that in any situation in our lives, and sometimes in our lives we look around and we say, you know, I just don't see how that's going to ever happen. I don't see how that could work. I just think it's over or it's impossible. Just realize that in our lives it's never hopeless. God can and may do something that will turn around the situation. The goal is to be encouraged even in the hopeless situations of our lives because it's not really hopeless. Well, let's begin. Let's think about what's going on. Jesus is in northern Israel. He's doing the ministry. Powerful people are following. They come in there. They're hearing his teaching. They're seeing his miracles. He's given his message of salvation. He's given good news. He's doing miracles. He's showing his authority as the Son of God, as the Savior and the Messiah. As we think about this chapter, there's, there's two parables which shows his works, and there are four miracles. And, you know, this, this passage is long. I mean, you start looking at the Gospel of Luke. I mean, you think about it. 
Luke chapter 7 had, basically Luke chapter 6 had 49 verses. Chapter 7 had 50 verses. Chapter 8 that we're in now has 56 verses. Chapter 9 has 60-something verses. I think it's 62. So we're in a long, long chapters. A lot of events happen in each of these chapters. And so in this chapter, we're seeing two parables and four miracles just in this chapter. For the past several weeks, we saw the two parables. One was the parable of the soil. You remember where the soil went out to sow the seed, and there were four different kinds of soil, and we saw that. And then, then there are four miracles, and last week we saw the first of the four miracles. It's where they were in the storm, and the ship was about to sink, and Jesus calmed the storm, and he showed that he had authority over nature. Well, as we continue this morning, we're going to see the second of the four miracles. And this is a famous story, and it's really, there are a lot of questions that are not answered in this passage. In fact, after, after the first service, I was talking to people after Sunday school, and they'd been in the first service, and they said, what happened to this, and what happened to this? And I said, the Bible doesn't tell us at all. So when we look at this passage, we're going to see some things, but there are going to be some things in here we won't have answers for. He won't tell us everything that happens. So as we continue this morning, we'll see this demon-possessed man. He meets Jesus. Several things. We're going to see, first of all, it's a really sad situation. Some would even say it's hopeless. Second, we're going to see some great truths concerning Jesus and his power, even over the spirit world. And then the third thing we're going to see is about a testimony, witnesses for Jesus Christ. Let me break down the passage for you. First of all, verses 26 through 31, Jesus meets the demon-possessed man. That's what we're going to see. Then in verses 32 33, we're going to see the pigs. It doesn't tell us anywhere in this, but the Gospel of Mark tells us there are 2,000 pigs in a herd there, and we're going to see what happens there. And then in verses 34 through 39, we see the results of what happened and the responses to what happened. So there's a lot there. Well, let's see, let's see the event. Now realize that the men are in a boat. Remember, Jesus told his men, he said, let's get in the boat and go to the other side. So they're on the Sea of Galilee. They get in the boat. They're going to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And you remember what happened last time? On the way there, they, this huge storm came, probably one of the biggest storms they ever saw in their lives. In fact, for these guys that were afraid, it may have been the biggest storm they'd ever been in. And Jesus calmed the storm. Now they're getting to the other side. And they're going to get out of the boat. And as they get out of the boat and the guys get out with Jesus, suddenly... This man with no clothes on comes running toward them. And, and we would say, this guy's a crazy, crazy man. There's a crazy guy coming. That's what we might say. And we're going to see what happens. And we're going to meet this man possessed by demons. And we'll see how it ties together. The key, Jesus shows his authority. Well, let's see what happens. Look at verse 26. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. Now, remember, they'd gotten the boat, and now they're sailing to this other side, which is on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. And, and this, uh, the New American Standard says the Gerasenes. There are different manuscripts. Sometimes it's called the Gadarenes. Sometimes it's named after a little town called Gadala. It's all in that little same region, and, and we think some of those names are interchangeable, that they had that. So they get to this little place. It says they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. It's on the east side of the Jordan River, on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. Sometimes this region was called Decapolis, because Decapolis means ten cities. And there were ten cities in that area, and most of them Gentiles lived in there. So they're going over to a region that has a lot of Gentile people in it. Now, there's still Jews there, but Gentiles as well. Now, watch what happens. It says, when they got onto the land, he was met, because when he, talking about Jesus, when he got onto the land, he was met by a man from the city who was possessed with demons. Now, this is plural, notice. And who had not put on clothing, any clothing for a long time, and was not living in the house, but in the tombs. We'll talk about it in a second. Do you realize they've just come through 
the worst storm that they have ever seen in their lives. I mean, they went through that storm. Remember, these guys are fishermen, and it was so bad that Jesus was asleep in the back, and they went back there and said, we're going down. This is horrible. Do something. It was the worst storm they'd ever been in. And now, when they get out of the boat, they're going to meet a man in the worst situation they've probably ever seen. And we're going to see what happens. It's very powerful. It says, He got out onto the land. He was met by a man from the city who was possessed with demons and who had not put on clothing for a long time and was not living in a house but in the tombs. Now, let's think about this. Let's, let's start by thinking about the man. What did he look like? I mean, it looked crazy. No clothes on, running toward them. What would they think? I mean, if you got off and you look up and here comes this guy running towards you and he's got no clothes on, and, and people, you know, there may even be people running going, there's the crazy man, he's coming this way. The demon-possessed man. There's a second thing I want you to think about, and I want you to think about demons for a second. What are demons? They're fallen angels. You know, when Lucifer or Satan, who was called son of the morning, when he fell, when he rebelled against God, he was kicked out or removed. And the best we can tell from the scripture is that there were some angels that followed him, which became known then after that as fallen angels or demons. They are in opposed to God. They are in opposition to God. They're opposed to his plan, and they seek to affect human beings. We are in a spiritual battle. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against royal forces of darkness in heavenly places. So we're in a spiritual battle, and there, is, there are demons. Now, I want you to understand something. Demons have already been judged. When Jesus was on the cross and paid for the sin of mankind, it says the prince of this world, that's Satan, has already been judged, he and the demons with him. There's going to come a time that Jesus will take and cast all the demons, including Satan, into the lake of fire, which is a place of eternal separation from God. If you read Matthew 24, 25, you find out that the lake of fire was prepared for the devil and his angels as demons. Now, I want you to understand something else. Demons know who Jesus is. They know who he is, that he is the Son of God, that he is the Savior of mankind. There's some places where the demons will fall down before him and say, Thou Son of God, in this passage it says says to him, what, do you, what business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I want you to understand that demons know who Jesus is. Now, there were people who may not know who Jesus was, but there were demons who know exactly who he is. Now, I want you to understand something. There's a place in James 1.19 that people misquote all the time. It says, even the demons believe and tremble. When it says they believe, it's not talking that they believe in Jesus as their Savior. They cannot believe in Jesus as their Savior because Jesus is not their Savior. Jesus Christ came on this earth to die on the cross to pay for the sins of mankind. Hebrews chapter 2 tells us that he didn't die for angels, he died for people. The reason that the demons believe and tremble is because they believe that he is their judge, not their Savior. So understand that. That. The demons have already been judged. Jesus hadn't put, carried out the sentence completely. There will be a time that he will. So when the Bible says even the demons believe and tremble, they believe that he is the Son of God, and they tremble because he is their judge. So here, here's this man who's demon-possessed, says he possessed with demons. He had not put on clothing for a long time. He was not living in the house but in the tombs. Now, let's think about what he was like. Demon-possessed. He'd been driven out of the city. In fact, we're going to find there's more than one demon there. We'll talk about it. He was living in the cemetery. 
Some of the other passages tell us that he howled, that he took rocks and stuff, and he cut himself, that they tried to bind him. They would put him in chains and bind him, and he had superhuman strength, that he would just break the chains, and then he would go out by himself. This has been going on for a long time, and he has no clothes on. I want you to understand, he's unclean because he's got unclean spirits in him, and he's living in a cemetery which was considered unclean. I want you to notice there's going to be one more unclean thing in this passage. I'll tell you what it is in a minute. So here he is, as Jesus and him get out of the boat. Here comes this man, no clothes, had been cutting himself. They tried to tie him up, but they couldn't tie him up. And he's, he's, he's living out in the, in the cemetery. It says, for a long time he lived there, not in a house, but in the tombs. You could say, you know, this is pretty much hopeless. Who's going to help him? No family, nothing. What's going to help him? Well, I want you to know this, that Jesus deals with hopeless situations. When things look bad, when there's no hope, you look to the Savior who alone can change all things because He is the God of all hope. And in our lives, sometimes we say, I just, I just don't know what's going to happen here. I don't see how anything could come out of this. I think it's hopeless. I don't know what we're going to do. Just remember that God can and may change it. He can do anything. In the hopeless situations of life, He is the God of all hope. Well, don't you think it would be a little embarrassing for this guy to come running towards you with no clothes on? Look what happens. Verse 28. Seeing Jesus, he cried out and fell before him and said in a loud voice, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. The he in this passage is not the man. It's a demon or demons inside of him that are speaking. Notice what it says. And seeing him, they fell before him or fell before him and said in a loud voice, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Now, this what business do we have with each other, literally in the Greek it says, What to me and to you? That's what it says. What to me and to you? What he's saying to Jesus is, What are you coming here for? I don't want to deal with you. What business do we have with each other? I don't want to talk to you. He's saying, I don't want to deal with you, Jesus. And then he look what he says. Jesus, Son of the Most High God. He addresses Jesus as the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. Realize that there were people who were walking around, and if you said, who do you think Jesus is? Some would say, well, he could be Elijah. Uh, He could be a prophet. He could be a good man. There were a lot of people who did not see Jesus as the Son of God. But the demons do, because they know exactly who he is. Now, notice what the demon says. I beg you, do not torment me. Now, the word torment literally means to punish. Don't think like somebody's going to burn somebody, you know, torment them or torture them. No, this means to to be punished. I want you to understand, Jesus is the judge. He's the judge of all things. He's the judge of of the demons. He has authority over the spirit world and over the demons. And they are saying to Jesus, or this demon, demons, we'll see more in just a minute. They're saying, don't torment me, don't discipline me, don't punish me. I want you to understand something. No matter how many demons there were, no matter how powerful they might be, Jesus is God, and he controls all things. He is the creator, redeemer, sustainer, provider, protector. He controls all things. There's another passage where some of the demons fell before Jesus and said, Have you come to judge us before our time? Well, Luke gives us a little bit more information. Notice what he says. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For it had seized him many times, and he was bound with chains and shackles and kept under guard, and yet he would break his bonds and be driven by the demon into the, into the desert. So G, he, Luke gives us more information. He says, now, Jesus commanded that spirit to come out of the man. 
It said, here's what had been happening to him, as you can tell. They bound him, and yet they had changed. They, they thought, we've got to help this man because he's hurting himself. He, one of the other Gospels says he takes stones and rocks and he'd cut himself. So they said, here's what we'll do. We'll, just, we'll tie him up and we'll keep guard over him and we'll keep him safe. And he would break the bonds and just go out. And finally they just said, we, we can't handle him. We can't stop him. Jesus commanded the unclean spirit to come out of him. Now, I want you to understand that by the commands here, Jesus is the one in control. He will have to do whatever Jesus says for him to do. So watch what happens. Jesus asks him a question. And Jesus asked him, verse 30, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. Now, this may surprise you. Do you know how many was in a legion? A legion at that time was between 3,000 and 6,000 troops, soldiers. If you say we have a legion of soldiers, that could be as small as 3,000, as big as 6,000. Now, we don't know how many demons are in this man, but the name is Legion. There could have been thousands of demons in this man. You may say, my gracious, I mean, I thought demon possession, I thought like a demon inside a person. Well, we already saw back at the very start of our chapter that Mary Magdalene had seven demons inside of her that were cast out by Jesus. So, you'd say seven. Well, that's amazing. I mean, like one, two, four, seven. This is maybe thousands. We don't know how many's there, but it's, the name is Legion because it says, for many demons had entered him. Well, here's some questions that people ask all the time, and they go, well, what about this demon possession? I mean, do demons possess people? The answer is yes. What about us? Well, let me tell you the best that I can see from the Scripture is that when a person believes in Jesus Christ as Savior, we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And the Bible says, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The best that I can tell, if as a believer, you would not ever be possessed by a demon. You may be influenced by a demon, especially if you put yourself in situations that you might be influenced, but you won't be possessed. But we can tell that unbelievers, people who have never trusted in Christ, people who put themselves in those situations, can be possessed by demons. There seemed to be a heightened of demonic activity when Jesus was on the earth. Not saying there's not demon possession now because there probably is. And in fact, I've talked and read books and talked to people about, um, you know, who said that they felt and found people that they thought were demon possessed. One thing for sure, the Word of God says this man had many demons in him. I think for you and for me, we can safely say that because we have Jesus Christ inside of us that we'll never be demon possessed. We might be influenced. We're in a spiritual battle. Look what happened. So he said, verse 30 again, Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he said, legion for many demons that entered him. There's another thing just to think about. What, what could this man have done, been doing, been around, that he would be possessed by this many demons? doesn't tell us a thing. It doesn't tell us why Mary Magdalene had seven demons in her. It doesn't tell us why this man had thousands in him. We know that people can open themselves up to be influenced by the occult, by demonic things. That's why the Bible, even in the Old Testament, warned about mediums and spirited stuff and, and the occult things. It is best to stay away from that. There is a evil spirit world. 
Well, look what happened. Verse 31, they were imploring him. These mean the demons inside of them were imploring Jesus not to command them to go away into the abyss. Now, the demons were begging Jesus not to command them to do something. See, Jesus is in control. He can do whatever he wants to do. He can tell those fallen spirits to do whatever he wants. They're asking him, don't tell us to have to go into the abyss. What in the world is the abyss? Well, we already know that if you've studied the book of Revelation, that the end of the tribulation, when the, when, the de- when the devil himself is cast, chained into the abyss. It's a big hole. That's what abyss means. He's bound there for a thousand years and then released at the end of the kingdom, at the end of the thousand-year reign. Now, what is this abyss? Well, let me tell you something. We're going to see it in some weeks to come. When we get to Luke chapter 16, we will see this. But here's what Jesus taught. He said this, that in the heart of the earth is a place. In the Old Testament, it was called Sheol. In the New Testament, it is called Hades. It means the place of the dead. It seems to be a hole in the earth somewhere. This is what Jesus taught. Jesus taught it. I believe it. Luke 16. It said that on one side of this big hole in the earth, there was a place called paradise. Then there was a big gulf that separated these two sides. And on the other side was a place called torments. What we find from Scripture, if you go to Jude, verse 6, or 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, that there's a place called Tartarus. That's the Greek word. It means a prison, a holding place for demons. It seems to be in the heart of the earth. So when these demons said to Jesus, don't cast us into the abyss, they were saying, don't put us in this place where some other demons are already bound. In fact, in Second Peter says that they're bound there until the final judgment. So apparently there are some demons that God has already bound in the abyss. These demons were saying, don't send us there. Please don't send us there. And notice what happens. We're going to meet some pigs. Not the three little pigs, but we're going to meet the pigs. In fact, Mark tells us there were 2,000 pigs in this herd. Look what we find. Now, there was a herd of many swine feeding there on the mountain, and the demons implored him to permit them to enter the swine, and he gave them permission. Now, there were pigs on the side of the mountain, mostly a Gentile area. Remember, Jews were not supposed to raise pigs. They were not supposed to have anything to do with pigs. Pigs were unclean animals. Now, I want you to see in this passage, you got the man who's unclean because he's got unclean spirits in him, and he's living in a graveyard, which is an unclean place because of dead bodies, and there are these unclean animals there. Watch what's going to happen. The, there was this herd of many swine feeding on the mountain, and the demons implored him to permit them, to allow them. They were begging him to let them go into the swine. Now, see Jesus' authority? Because, see, they were, they were begging Jesus. Because Jesus has the authority. They were begging him, please let us go into the pigs. And he gave them permission. You realize they can't do anything unless he says they can do it? He's showing his authority as God. Well, what happened? Verse 33, And the demons came out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Now, these demons came out and went into the pigs, and there was a whole 2,000 pigs on the side of the hill, some herdsmen watching, and all of a sudden the pigs just rushed down, and the way it's written in the Greek, it says violently. They just swarmed down the side of that hill right into the Sea of Galilee, right in the lake, and every one of them went in there and drowned. What if you're the herdsman? You went, what happened to my pigs? 
What happened to the pig? Look, the pigs just ran into the water and drowned. Now, I just lost 2,000 pigs. It's a lot of money. A lot of money. And they rushed right down into the steep bank, down the steep bank, into the lake, and were drowned. You know what? This man's now set free. He, it had been hopeless. Didn't it? Wasn't it hopeless? People say, wasn't it hopeless? It's not hopeless when Jesus Christ is there. The man is now free from the demons. The hopeless situation is now solved by the God of all hope. Well, let's see a couple of things. How about response, results and response? What happened and how did they respond? What happened to all this and how did they respond? Look at verse 34. And the herdsmen, when the herdsmen saw what had happened, they ran away and reported it in the city and out in the country. They ran back to the little town, Gadala probably. They ran back in that little town and began to tell people what happened about the, about the crazy man, the demon-possessed man, and what happened and how the pigs all rushed down the hill. And they went into the city, then they went out into the country. And then what's going to happen? People are going to come out to see what happened. So when the herdsmen saw what happened, they ran away, reported in the city and out in the country. They went and said, we just had 2,000 pigs. Now, see, these herdsmen, they, they may not have been their pigs. They may have just been hired people to help. They may have gone into town, found the owners of the pigs. And, and it could have been two or three people that had pigs together and they were just watching them. But they're gone now. So watch what happens. The people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting down at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, they and they became frightened. I want you to see the results. First of all, they, they came out and they found this man was sitting down. Now, he had not been sitting down. He had been running around. You remember, he was running around. He ran to Jesus. They, people tried to hem him up and they couldn't. He was back there cutting himself. They tried to chain him and they couldn't. He's been running around, but now he's sitting down. And on top of that, he's sitting at the feet of Jesus, which in that day and time is a picture of learning, that you're sitting at the feet of a teacher to be taught. And then he was clothed. He's not had his clothes on for a long time, and now he's got on clothes. And there's one last thing. Look, they saw that he was in his right mind. Literally in the Greek, right mind has the idea of a sound mind. He's able to think correctly. Up to this time, he hadn't been thinking correctly at all. He's been controlled by these demons. He is a changed Person, he is set free. It is never hopeless with Jesus Christ. God is all-powerful, and he deals in the hopeless situations. I want you to think about something. The nation of Israel came out of Egypt. Moses is leading the way. They come out. They're slaves. They've been slaves for 400 years. And they come out, and they get right up to the Red Sea, and they're stuck. And here comes the Egyptian army and chariots and everything, and they're stuck. And they could look around and say... What a fine mess you got us into. It's hopeless. And yet it wasn't hopeless because all of a sudden the water parted. They went on dry land. The army came in after them and God caused the water to go over them. Never hopeless. It's not hopeless when a little boy at age about 13 or 14 goes to fight a man nine feet nine inches tall, Goliath and David. And people will say, David, you can't go fight that guy. He, he's, a, he's been a fighter from his youth. You're just a boy. You can't even wear armor. It's hopeless. No, it's not hopeless because David took that stone, hit him right in the head right there and killed him. It's not hopeless when Jesus of Nazareth was nailed on a cross and said, It is finished. And into your hands I commit my spirit. And he died. And they buried him. And people said, we, we thought he would be the one to redeem Israel. We thought he was the Messiah. And now it's over. It's hopeless. It's not hopeless. Because three days later, 
Up from the grave he arose. It's never hopeless. Our God can do anything. It's never hopeless with the God of hope. Look at their response. They became frightened at the end of verse 35. They became frightened. Why? You think they were upset about their pigs? They came out and said, we lost our pigs. We don't care about this man over here. And they probably didn't care about that man. What they were worried about is, what happened to our pigs? And they were frightened. And notice it says, those who had seen it reported to them how the man who was demon-possessed had been made well. And by the way, the Greek word made well is sozo in the Greek, which is the word for saved. It could have easily been translated how the demon-possessed man had been saved. What I think happened is that word sozo can be used for a physical healing. It can be used for spiritual healing. I think it uses for both. I think this man not only was delivered from demonic possession, but I believe he was saved also by believing in Christ. We'll see it toward the end of what happened here. And look what happened. All the people of the country of the Gerasenes and the surrounding district asked him to leave them. For they regret with great fear and he got into a boat and returned. Wouldn't you think they would say, listen, this is the greatest thing we've ever seen. You just, there are all kinds of people in our town that are sick. There are some people that are demon-possessed there. Could you come into the city, Jesus? Could you come and help? That's not what they say. They say, would you please leave? Why? Are they afraid he's going Take something else away? Are they afraid something's going to happen? You know, I think they're afraid that, that will they lose more income? Sometimes when people find out about Jesus, they're afraid because they don't want to lose what they have. Or they, they're afraid Jesus is going to change something. And let me tell you this, a lot of times he changes things. He changes us from the inside out. Well, that's the response of those people. What about the man who had the demons in him. Look at verse 38. But the man from whom the demons had gone out was begging him that he might accompany him, but he sent him away saying. Now the man who had the demons in him was begging Jesus. And the way it's written, it means it's like he said, can I go with you? And Jesus said, no, don't go. Can I go? How about if I can I go? Can I go? No, no. Please let me go. No, don't. He just kept asking because that's what it means in the Greek. He kept on begging. And Jesus said, no, here's what I want you to do. I've got something else for you to do. See, it seems like it'd be okay, wouldn't it? He, I mean, Jesus just healed him, and he wants to go with Jesus. Wouldn't it be fun to go with Jesus, get in the boat, go back to the other side, hang around with the disciples? Wouldn't that be great? That's what this man thinks. But Jesus said, no, 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 I've got something else for you to do. Notice verse 39, return to your house and describe what great things God has done for you. So he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. See, the man kept begging Jesus, let me go, let me go. But Jesus said, i got something else for you to do. And I want you to go back. I want you to go to your house. I want you to go back where you're from. And I want you to describe. I want you to tell about. I want you to explain what great things God has done for you. And see, that's what he says to us. We say, oh, Jesus, what, what do you want me to do? Here's what i got for you to do. I want you to go to where you are, and I want you to tell them about me. I want you to go to your houses. I want you to go to your work. I want you to go to your neighborhoods. I want you to go back where you're from, where you are, and I want you to tell people about me. I want you to tell them what great things I have done for you. See, he took us who were dead in trespasses and sins, and he's made us alive. We walked according to the prince of the power of the air. We walked according to the world. We walked according to the flesh. We walked according to the devil. What did he do? He saved us. He raised us up, seated us in heavenly places, given us eternal life, made us alive. He's done all of this for us. He says, go tell other 
people about what I have done. I want you to notice something in this verse. Jesus said to him in verse 39, Return to your house and describe what great things God has done for you. So he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. You see, he equates Jesus and God as the same. He said, go tell him what God has done for you. And he says, that's you. You're God. Look what you did. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to tell people about Jesus. We're to share our faith with those that we come in contact with. We are to be witnesses for Christ. And let me tell you something. If we're not sharing here, what makes us think we'll share our faith somewhere else? We have to go back to our neighborhoods and our homes and our workplaces and campus, and we've got to share our faith. What a, contest, what a contrast between those who rejected, most of them, and this one man who says, I want to go, I want to go with you. He says, no, you go back and you tell others. Well, what are we seeing? Jesus got out of the boat. Met by a demon-possessed man. It looks like a hopeless situation because this has gone on for a long time. Jesus commanded him, those many demons, to come out. They went out. They went into the pigs. Pigs were drowned. People came out. They saw him in his right mind. And they said, would you please leave? And so he got in the boat to leave. And the man said, can I go with you? Can I go with you? He said, no, no. You go back and you tell them what great things God has done for you. Let me give you some applications of what we've seen. Realize, first of all, that Jesus Christ has all authority even over demons. See, there he, is, he has all authority over heaven and earth. There is a spiritual world and there is a spiritual battle. And he is the creator and redeemer. He's the creator of all things. He has authority over all things, including the demons. And these fallen angels and Satan are under his authority. And one day he's going to judge them all. They'll be separated forever. So what do we do? Well, we draw near. The Bible says, draw near to God and he'll draw near to us. Put on the full armor of God. Run the race with endurance. Listen, we're not going after the devil and the demons. We get as close as we can to God. Put on the full armor of God so that we can stand. Realize Jesus has all authority. Number two, trust Christ in the hopeless situations of life. And sometimes, humanly speaking, we could say, this sure does look hopeless. I don't see how anything's going to ever come out of this. And sometimes in our lives we say, this, this seems to be the end of this, or this seems that it will never work. Trust God. He may choose to take that hopeless situation and change it because he's the God of all hope. All things are possible with him. Trust him in the events of life. And that takes us to the last one. And that is, let's be a testimony for Christ where we are. We have trusted Jesus Christ. This is where he's put us right now. He's put us in this town, in this place where we live. We need to go right into the people that we come in contact with. We need to tell them about Jesus. He told that man, he said, you go back to your house and you tell the people what God has done. And so he went right back and he told everybody in that whole town what Jesus did. We have the same privilege to go and tell people what Jesus has done for us. And as I said a while ago, if we don't witness here and now, why will we witness somewhere else? We need to be faithful now. He is faithful in that which is least. We faithful in that which is must. Stand for Christ now. So may we be witnesses for Christ now as we trust Christ in all the situations of life, even the hopeless ones, knowing that he has all authority. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a passage. Thank you for these truths. Lord, we realize that you have all authority. have authority over the demons. have authority over everything. You work all things according to the counsel of your will. Thank you, Lord, that we can just trust you in all of these things. Lord, thank you that in the situations of life, whether they, they look hopeless or not, anything can happen and you can do anything. Thank you, Lord, that nothing is impossible with you and that we should bring all things to you. And Lord, thank you 
that wherever you put us right now, that we would be faithful to tell people about you, that we would be ambassadors, we'd be witnesses, and use us, Lord, for your glory. Thank you for these truths. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.